Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Tyrus. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. No celebrations as Russia leaves the outskirts of Kyiv because of the horror left behind. And even as we now hear promises that outrage will turn into action, Russia is repositioning its troops as we wait to see what else Ukrainians have been through in places like Mariupol. What our takeaway should be is that we should be doing as much as we can, whatever is in our powers, to prevent more of that from happening. I'm Chris Foster. Disney versus DeSantis. The company's fight against what opponents call the don't say gay law in Florida. Supporters say it's about parents' rights. Walt Disney caved and is now embroiled in this fight with a governor that likes to take on all comers. And Ron DeSantis has, I think, coming out on top because he loves to take on what he calls the woke culture wars. And I'm Jason Chaffetz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. I talked to a woman I know, born and raised in Kyiv, after the devastating images of murdered civilians came out of Bucha. She lives in Los Angeles now and has for years, but she still has family in Ukraine, including a brother in Kyiv. She cried softly and said she has no words, that she's angry, that she still doesn't understand why the people of Bucha, the quiet suburb she described as full of families and middle-income professionals, had to be the victims of such horror. Katerina Panova is from Kyiv and now lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. She says she was in Kyiv during the Maidan Revolution in 2013. We had Maidan and they were first dead people in Kyiv, shot by Russian-backed uh, forces of Yanukovych, a former president. So for me, I wasn't that shocked just because I had that initial shock a while ago when it's, it was not the first time Putin strikes in Ukraine, okay? It's just it's the first time that we have a war in Ukraine, like in multiple cities. We expected something like this. Panova runs UAWelcome.org, an organization to help connect Ukrainian refugees with U.S. host families. But her father is still in Kyiv. I asked her how this fight ends, what she expects will happen next. There'll be war. There'll be more deaths. Unless United States intervenes, I guess, because there's no political will in Europe. In Europe, everybody's scared. Like, they're scared that it'll be next. Poland is already full. Lots of other countries are not even able to to house any Ukrainian refugees yet. It's a humanitarian crisis. As for what's next from the U.S. perspective, President Biden promised continuing aid to Ukraine, additional sanctions, and again called Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, a war criminal. This guy is brutal, and what's happening in Bukha is outrageous, and everyone's seen it. Russian officials denied that they killed civilians and accused Ukraine of staging the deaths. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said Russia may have pulled back from around Kyiv, but they are refocusing forces in the south and east. 
He also said additional sanctions against Russia will be announced this week. It seems they are making a statement um, that is not just addressed to Ukraine, but mostly to the Western world. Yulia Joja is a senior fellow at the Middle East Institute and adjunct professor at Georgetown University and former deputy project manager at NATO Allied Command Transformation. By, you know, shooting people on the street in front of their houses. So you don't have a choice when you drive in, but to see these bodies. Um, They didn't have to do that, right? It could have been done in houses um, and they've done that in other places but it's it's a political statement in russian thinking unfortunately to show the world that that's what they're capable of to intimidate us to so fear and in the end unfortunately this is part of russian ideology and thinking at this moment to sort of send a message that they want to humiliate the West. We know that we're getting to see these images because Russian forces left these particular areas. I wonder, what does that mean we should anticipate? Are we going to see this in other areas where the Russians were, were dominating for the, for the last month and a half? I can't even imagine what we're going to see out of Mariupol soon. It's very likely, unfortunately, that this is part of their warfare Um, in in reference to Bucha. This seems to be an order that a military commander has given, not Putin himself, but someone on the ground. And so it's likely that this is coordinated and back to Mariupol. This is probably more of what we will see in the near future as Ukrainians are giving give, if we let them um, with with our military aid um, taking back cities. Of course, the biggest catastrophe is in Mariupol as we speak. And so it's hard to focus on the future when you see these images. But what our takeaway should be is that we should be doing as much as we can, whatever is in our powers to prevent more of that from happening with knowing that it's it's very likely to already have occurred as we're speaking in places like Mariupol. And then we've had reports before 2022 of similar, maybe comparable things happening in the Donbass in, in Crimea. And that's why a lot of Ukrainians are saying, but why are you surprised this has already been happening? So now that we have the proof for the Western world, it's important to keep that in mind. How significant is it that Russia pulled out of these areas? We've been hearing for weeks it's not going well for Putin. It's not going well for Russia. Um, Are they refocusing on the Donbass area? Are they going to try and focus on something they feel they can have more power over or more control over as opposed to the trying to, you know, go after the whole country at once? Is this sort of they're doing it piecemeal? I think it's we focused indeed a lot in Western media on the fact that they're not doing well. And that's true. They haven't been doing well. The military explanation for that is that they open too many fronts at the same time. Um, But we obviously should not interpret this as them withdrawing. Um, I think if we are to project into the future, if nothing else happens, if we keep Uh, The Western support as is, if Ukraine keeps fighting as is, and if Russia stays the same, 
with with the leadership in Moscow that we're looking at a protracted conflict in which we can anticipate pauses and lower and higher intensity in warfare. Um, but but to conclude that this is uh, an indication of the end of the conflict is, right. I think, at this point, just genuinely wrong. I want your thoughts um, for my next question because of your work with NATO. The Wall Street Journal has this lengthy piece that they just put out entitled Putin's 20 year march to the war in Ukraine and how the West mishandled it. As more and more countries joined NATO since 1990, the article sort of paints this picture of a Vladimir Putin growing more and more agitated. And he had told then President George W. Bush that the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century was that millions of people in former Soviet blocs were no longer Russian. In 2007, he spoke at the Munich conference and blasted NATO for failing to abide by like certain promises, I guess, about expanding to the east. And the big one is that we told Ukraine and Georgia they could possibly enter NATO, but we never gave them a, a path or a map, quote unquote, to that end. Um, so the article says we, we basically put a target on Ukraine's back, but never gave the protection that they would need. From your pers perspective, did we mishandle things or is that a bit of victim blaming and Putin just wanted these old Soviet blocks back no matter what. I think you are right. We put a, t a target on on their back. It wasn't it wasn't we everyone. It was um, Germany and France that vetoed a membership action plan for Ukraine in 2008 and for Georgia in 2008. And just a few months later, Russia invaded Georgia. So there was a clear connection there. And then in 2014, Russia invaded Ukraine because they wanted to join the European Union. So um, and, and then the third thing that we need to keep in mind are those two letters um, sent last winter to NATO and to the United States that made clear from a Russian perspective that the only ones that they hold responsible and they want to negotiate with over the heads of Eastern Europeans is the United States because of its military might, because of its um, of its uh, nuclear uh, weapons, etc. But what they're demanding is that um, the United States, with those two letters, not just not consider Ukraine and Georgia, which is something they the United States or the overall West NATO cannot do. We have an open door policy. Everybody's is uh, um, it can join within NATO criteria. Criteria. So that's that's the one thing about agency. But then the other thing is that you know, with those two letters, Russia demanded that the United States withdraw all its military capabilities from Central and Eastern Europe and that um, all members of NATO that joined after 1997, so that's the big block of Central and Eastern European former communist countries, um, get their membership withdrawn, that they're not part of NATO. And of course, that's a big problem because it wasn't that the United States um, was asking um, Poland or the Baltic countries to join and they were considering it was that these countries made ultimate sacrifices in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in support of the United States to be able to join because they are afraid of what Russia can do. So that leaves indeed not any blame, but a lot of responsibility with the United States as the ultimate and the only country that Eastern and Central Europeans consider 
able and perhaps willing to guarantee their security and their independence vis-a-vis Russia. To your point about, um, you know, Putin's demands that, uh, you know, there not be any sort of military presence really in in Eastern Europe. Uh, the, the top military commander for NATO, um, head of America's European Command, Todd Walters, testified before the Senate and House um, Armed Services Committees last week and indicated that there are sufficient forces across Europe right now. But there was a lot of talk about creating a permanent U.S. presence, bases in some countries like Poland and Romania, um, and also a talk of, of indication that NATO allies are willing to spend more on their own defense budgets. Are we preparing for a possibility or maybe even an expectation that this war will expand? So I think on one side, again, it's Putin doesn't just talk about the Soviet Union. He talks about the entire former Warsaw Pact composition. So that puts countries like Poland and Romania at risk, as well as, of course, Baltic countries that are members of NATO and were part of the Soviet Union. Now, this is the one part of it. Um, The other part is the fact about these permanent or what we call now continuously rotational. The reason why we call them continuously rotational um, presences of NATO um, on the eastern flank of NATO is because of that um, initial Russia NATO um, foundation act or, or treaty that um, that had as a promise that we will not permanently base military there. That act is completely void now. The Russians have made it void with um, with the invasion of of Ukraine. We said in 2022 it was actually long long time before, and we just didn't take the measures. And so, what Central and Eastern European countries are asking for is they are really considering just as Poland, um, they're really considering that there's an imminent risk of being attacked either conventionally or even with a nuclear attack um, by Russia. And so According to um, the treaties between Russia and NATO that don't exist anymore, we are now indeed free to do that. But we also have to differentiate here between NATO and the United States individual presence. So NATO, which needs consensus of all member states. And so we have Western countries like Germany or France who have been more reluctant when it comes to Central and Eastern European security. And then we have separately the United States that, of course, works within NATO, but has different legal um, prerogatives um, in strategic relations with the countries and is kind of the the rock when it comes to um, Eastern European security. Yulia Joja at the Middle East Institute, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was great to be here. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Jason Chaffetz with your Fox News commentary coming up. New York City Mayor Eric Adams announces an ad campaign in Florida denouncing the state's parental rights law banning instruction or discussion about gay and gender issues in elementary schools and inviting LGBT and other Floridians against the law to move to New York. 
Other folks want people to hide their color. We like to show our color, and that's the rainbow that's representative of this community. Also publicly against the law, the Disney Corporation. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis says he appreciates the jobs created and supported by Disney, but he says they should stay out of political fights like this. There's talk among Florida Republicans about taking away the company's special legal privileges. They've gotten uh, incredible treatment from the Florida legislature, and they are treated on a pedestal. This one corporation is treated differently than everybody else. And so uh, that's not something I've ever supported. But now in the legislature, you see a movement to reevaluate those special privileges. Governor DeSantis on Fox and Friends. Some Disney employees are against the law. Some are for it. The same with the company's shareholders. Well, I think a growing number of them are starting to question why Walt Disney World is involved in this in the first place. Ashley Webster with Fox Business in Orlando, Florida. They say that Disney should not be going on political crusades, at least not on shareholder dimes. And they say, look, concentrate on the business. If you want to do this, do this in a different way. Now, Disney says it tried to speak to uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor, privately, but that didn't work out. But let us not forget Chapik, the CEO, Bob Chapik. He initially was described as someone who was not an activist and did not bring a political agenda to the job. And that's what upset a certain segment of Disney employees who said, what? And threatened to walk out and protest, which they did. So essentially, Walt Disney caved and is now embroiled in this fight with a governor that likes to take on all comers. And Ron DeSantis is, I think, coming out on top because he loves to take on what he calls the woke culture wars. And all of a sudden, Disney, who's kind of doubled down in this situation, has been left in a very difficult position. Yeah, Chapek's been getting it from both sides, like you said. I mean, some employees walked out over what they considered his you know, tepid response to the bill and, and also yeah. over donations to lawmakers that supported it, not that they would have necessarily known before the donations that this bill was going to pass. And now he's getting it from the right uh, for coming out forcefully against it. How much of it is woke and how much of it is just business? Does Disney or Chapik stick his finger in the wind and say, "Okay, I guess this is the way it's blowing and this is what we should do? Well, if that's what he's done, he's gotten the direction of the wind wrong, I believe. Um, there's the, it's the classic case, I believe, of the vocal minority against the silent majority. But companies like Disney apparently are absolutely scared to death that if they're not seen as being woke and not seen as being uh, a, a uh, future-looking company that will bend to the will of the few as opposed to the many, then they feel they have to do this. It's funny because... Former CEO Bob Iger is all about it as well. He supported the president, President Biden, when Biden tweeted that this was a horrible bill. Bob Iger jumped in and said, you're absolutely right. But I don't think it's a winning thing to do. I really don't. Any PR company will tell you in this situation, stay out of it. Uh, You know, your bottom line is important. And this will turn off a lot of American families, those families who love Disney for all the reasons. It's a family uh, enterprise, the characters and all of that. But it is changing. The fact that you can't say boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen in the park now seems to have taken it to the ridiculous level. And Disney, I think, is going to have a very hard time backing out of this. Yeah, let's talk about the bill. Um, Supporters say it's about parental rights. It's the name of the bill. Uh, it has this don't say gay label that's that's stuck, even though it's not the name of the bill. There's concern uh, among some opponents of the bill that teachers will be afraid to bring up their own spouse if they're gay 
or even the pronoun of their spouse or a student's parents if they're gay. Now, I mean, the bill is vague yes. about what's instruction, what's discussion and what you can do and can't do. Yeah, it is vague. And I think what could happen is it could end up in the court and they may try to sharpen up the language. The main thrust of the bill is that the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity cannot happen in grades kindergarten through third grade. What is upsetting some critics is that it then goes on to say, or for other students who may be considered not age appropriate. Well, what is that? What is age appropriate? And that's the vagueness. And that really is what has sparked this protest because, you know, uh, uh, opponents argue that this could be a slippery slope and that after a while it won't just be kindergarten through third grade. I don't think the bill says that. But there is a little bit of vagueness around the language, and I think that ultimately could be addressed in court. Let's talk about what Governor DeSantis and some Republicans now in Florida's legislature are trying to take away. Disney has this right to sort of self-govern itself on its own property. What does that entail? And I mean, it seems very 1800s Old West, uh, Wild West to have this, you know, <laughs> what's essentially a company town, even though we're talking about a multi-billion dollar uh, company in, in in Disney. What does Disney get to do? You can't just go around murdering people at Disney. I assume. Well, I assume maybe no. you can. Maybe you, maybe you can. Um, <laughs> but what, what is what is what does self governing mean? Talk about the um, the law that was passed in the sixties. Well, yeah, 1967, the Reedy Creek uh, Improvement Act, which is a fancy name, which basically means Disney were given the right to be their own government, masters of their own kingdom. They have their own police department, uh, fire department. Uh, They can go ahead and, and make the changes and do whatever they want to do within a you know, specified area. And it's many, many acres, as you know, in central Florida that Disney World takes up, but essentially allows them to go ahead and do things that you and I, if we had a home and wanted to start doing improvements, would have to go and get some permits enable for us to do it. Uh, Disney doesn't have to go through any hoops at all. It can just do what it wants to do. I would argue that in today's world, it's probably not even needed, but if it was repealed, it would mean that Disney would have to go through Orange County here in Florida, which is where Walt Disney World uh, is situated. And that would mean they would have to do what everyone else has to do, apply for improvements, apply for new building, whatever they want to do, and then go through the process of getting the permits. They would also be uh, subjected to more taxes, so it would become more costly. Would this happen? I think it's a threat that's being made by the by the governor of this state, Mr. DeSantis. I don't think ultimately it will happen, but it's a very interesting point. And I think Disney, to be honest with you, is in shock right now. They've never dealt with a governor like this before. Disney has nearly 40 lobbyists in Tallahassee at the state capitol. It pretty much does what it wants. And the fact that we're now in this position, we haven't heard from Disney since the uh, latest statement about opposing the bill. And I think they're still somewhat in a bit of shock. Yeah, Disney's got tens of thousands of employees in Florida, tens of thousands of voters in Florida. So, I, you know, I guess that could be could be some sort of a consideration. Um, look, you can accuse the company of hypocrisy getting well, getting back to my point, is it woke or is it business? Um, yeah, uh, Disney, for example, not just this time, but in, in, in 2016, they, they threatened to stop filming in Georgia over uh, a faith based uh, gay law that was being proposed there. I don't think it actually passed yet. Yemen, Libya, Saudi Arabia, a lot less gay friendly than than here. Oh. Uh, they're expanding operations. They're trying to blow up their Disney Plus streaming service in, 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 in some of those countries. 
Well, I think that really does kind of uh, make them look a bit silly, frankly. I mean, you talk about these countries, and there are 10 countries in North Africa and the Middle East that ban and outlaw homosexuality where Disney is trying to spread its business. And let's not forget China. Apparently, the human rights issues and the genocide of the Uyghurs uh, apparently doesn't seem to bother Disney. That's very much in bed with China. You know, it knows it's a big market, so it's a huge business decision. But how can you just ignore what goes on in China and these other countries while crying foul in your backyard over kindergartners being taught about sexual orientation? It doesn't make sense. Disney, let's say you you're really um, are on Governor DeSantis' side here. Disney is very, very tough as a consumer to boycott. I saw somebody on Twitter compare Disney to corn. It's just, it's in everything. Um, it's the ABC, ESPN, Hulu, Marvel, Star Wars, on and on and on. You have to be really committed to not consume any Disney or give them any of your money. Well, that's very true. And, you know, it's interesting. We've had, we have heard from, a, and we've interviewed a number of families who say that's it. They're dumping the Disney streaming in the house and they're never coming to the park again. We've been down this road before. I wonder how long it will last. Um, for some people, they're, they're done with Disney. They're upset with them and uh, they think they've become, quote unquote, too woke for their family and that they're not backing up what was normally considered their uh, family values. Um, listen, it is hard to boycott Disney. They're everywhere, right? And they have all these different subsidiaries. But I do think that they, they, it's a difficult line to walk here for Disney. I think they've gotten themselves into something that they probably shouldn't. Is it the vocal minority at the uh, company? Probably. Um, but corporations these days are too frightened to go against what cons- what would be called woke by conservatives. And therefore, um, are they really representing the majority? Probably not. Ashley Webb, Stir Fox Business in Orlando, Florida. Are you, are you availing yourself of any of the fun that the parks have to offer while you're, uh, while you're, <laughs> while you're, while you're kicking around on these stories? No teacup rides for me. And as I'm standing outside the resort reporting, I don't think I'm going to get any uh, invites to come on in. Put it that way. Ashley, thanks. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jason Chaffetz. Jason Chaffetz. What's on your mind? Democrats are doing everything possible to signal to the American people they aren't prepared to retain control of the House, the Senate, and the White House. The 2022 midterms will be a choice election. Democrats continue to make the choice easier. Here are the real signs Democrats will lose this November. Floating Hillary Clinton rumors. The Biden-Harris ticket is flailing so badly, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is making waves she might run again in 2024. This puts Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton out front for the Democrats. When those two condescending extremists lead the party, Republicans do well. Alienating first responders. No national political party has thrived by demonizing first responders, especially the police. Crime is up prosecutions are down and democrats are advocating for failed cashless bail policies when america does not feel safe america makes a change covid fatigue 
most Americans have been vaccinated and for years wore masks. Democrats overreached for too long on unpopular mandates and shaky science. Democratic Party leaders, including governors and mayors, were regularly caught hypocritically violating their own mandates. And it's clear to all that the president, I have a plan, Biden, didn't really have a plan. No plan to rein in inflation. Speaking of not having a plan, look at inflation. Initially, President Biden tried to say inflation was transitory and temporary, but food is up 7%, energy is up roughly 50%, and real wages are down 1.7%. The Democrats control all levers of power as inflation is hurting every family. Biden owns energy hikes. In the first few days of taking office, President Biden shut down the Keystone Pipeline and put us on a path of energy dependence on foreign powers. We were a net energy exporter, but Biden-Harris put a halt to that brief moment of peace and prosperity. Now we are beholden to unstable authoritarian nations. Border blunder. Our national border, particularly our southern border, was becoming more secure And the novel Remain in Mexico policy was working as a partnership with Mexico to stem the tide of illegal immigration. Immediately upon taking office, the borders opened, catch and release was reinstituted, and millions flowed over our border. It's no secret Biden's changes to the Trump policy are putting every American in danger. Foreign policy failure. Russia is at war with Ukraine. China is on the verge of moving on Taiwan. Iran is closer to a nuclear weapon. Our departure from Afghanistan was a complete catastrophe that was totally avoidable had there been competent leadership. Democrats have nothing positive to point to on foreign policy. And when the president speaks extemporaneously, staff instantly must clarify and fix the comments. Candidate quality. To win an election, you need good communicators who connect with the voters. Ronald Reagan was inspirational. Bill Clinton was one of the best. Barack Obama was effective. And Donald Trump connected with Americans like we have never seen before. But with Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, and the squad voicing the policies of the left, Republicans know this is their best opportunity yet to succeed in November. I'm Jason Chaffetz, host of the Jason in the House podcast and a Fox News contributor. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.